Hour number two of Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson is presented by Casino Del Sol, the soul of Tucson, Tucson Federal Credit Union, and the Volpe team at Nova Home Loans. We need a drum roll for that before he does that once in a while. Before What's, he does the sponsor read? Yeah, man, because, I mean, it's a parade of superstars as far as show sponsors, and it's only appropriate that Casino Del Sol, Tucson Federal, Federal Credit Union, and Paul Volpe are our show sponsors and get that drum roll, especially on Michael Jordan Day, because Michael Jordan's the GOAT, and so are they. No doubt. Happy Michael Jordan Day. 2-3. Two, there's, there's your drum roll. 2023. <laughs> Michael Jordan Day, greatest of all time. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that why it's Michael Jordan yeah. Day? Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, 2-3, two, 2-3. Three, two, three. Man, I'm quick. <laughs> I'm quick on that. <laughs> uh, today is also Friday, so we're going to do our Friday favorite interview. We'll play back our interview with Terrell Stoglin earlier in the week. Great interview. It was, uh, it was entertaining, and we learned a lot about... Terrell's overseas experience. Um, uh, apparently, I, I only learned one thing: that, that they, th- they throw games in Venezuela. Well, I learned that. I also learned that Justin A. Spears asked great, great questions. <laughs> <laughs> always, man. Always, always got some uh, juicy stuff out of Terrell. Little inside baseball with the great questions, but uh, someday we're just gonna have to tell the listeners what we do. Yeah, someday, right? Someday. Well, why not be today? You already spilled the beans. Have I though? Yeah. So Justin and I, and, and please don't don't don't, don't tell our guests. Don't, don't tell our guests. When we have a guest on, if they say good question, we get a point, and if they say great great question, we get two points, and if we make Pasco laugh, it's three points. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bruce Pasco from the Arizona Daily Star. And uh, so I I took year one from Justin. Justin got me year two, and right now. He's got a he's got a healthy lead on me, but I I'm, mm. I'm feeling a second half comeback. But that's the thing though, the Pasco laugh. It's February. I, <laughs> the Pasco laugh. That's like getting fouled while shooting a three pointer and making it. Yeah. That's the that's the big one right there. If you can make Bruce Pasco chuckle a little bit, that's a Steph Cause, Curry. Because he's man, Bruce Pasco's a machine. The man is a content machine when it comes to Arizona basketball stuff. Wait till next time he's on, and I start asking. Mm. I start calling him Colombo. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Uh, all right, let's talk some Arizona Wildcats basketball, shall we? Man, what a game last night! Um, we got all sorts of uh, Tommy Lloyd clips and also uh, Kerr Creesa last night as well. And Azulis Tubelis uh, talked about what was the the, the key to his forty-point uh, performance, uh, and he mentioned that he was uh, going to Gates Pass with some family members. And he also took a 40-minute nap. That was that was the key to Azuz Tabellas dropping 40 points. Ali, last night was history. And it was such a, a weird feeling because he was starting to rattle off a bunch of points in the first half. And then you started to think, he's going to cool off. And he didn't. And he just kept making shot after shot after shot. And the next thing you know, he's got 27 at halftime. And we started to think, well, okay, Al Fleming, the guy who's being inducted into the Ring of Honor tonight, he has the McHale Center record by a Wildcat, which is 41 points. Being inducted in the Ring of Honor, and on the same night, Azulis Tubelis might break his record. Yeah. And, and with his family members in attendance, too. And then Ernie McRae was, uh, celebrated the prior homestand, and he has the record at Arizona. It was a Bear Down Gym of 46. Yeah. I actually thought he was going to. I thought he was going to challenge that record. I thought he was going to go for 50. Me too. 50 on the 50th birthday of Mikhail. That's really, I was like, this story is writing itself. Wow, I didn't even think of that. Oh, well. 
I should have texted you. Should, you. Yeah. Or maybe I should write you should, for the you should star. Take, I was saying you should take my job, man. Uh, you work too hard. Um, and it doesn't pay that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's be nice. Let's be nice. You're, worth, you're not wrong, you're but you worth, don't have to say it. You're worth way more. Yes. How about that? I, absolutely. All right. Um, but I think that Azul Sabellis last night, the, the game that he had put the stamp on him winning Pac-12 player of the year. I think that, so. Who's second? Jaime Jaquez? Jaime Jaquez isn't having a game like that. No one in the Pac-12 is playing at the level in which Azulus Tabellus is playing at. And how does Azulus Tabellus' game last night compare to others in Arizona history? You mentioned Ernie McCray. He scored 46 against Cal State LA in 1960. The last 40-point game in Arizona history, or last time a Wildcat scored 40 points in a game, was Damon Stoudemire when he had 45 against Stanford in 1995. Um, other 40-point games, we got... Joe Skaysgear oh, yeah. versus Harden Simmons in 1962. Connell Norman at BYU. He also scored 44. Colonel. In, uh, Col- Colonel. Was it Connell? Is it Colonel? It's like Colonel Norman. Yeah, C-O-N-I-E-L. He was really good. Is it, it's not Colonel. I thought it was Connell. I don't know. It's okay. I'm pretty sure I call him They call Colonel. him Popcorn. Seriously. Really? Yeah. Uh, Connell Norman, he had 44 at BYU in 1974. And then Al Fleming had the most in McHale Center history uh, with uh, 41 against a Dick Vitale coached team. Dick Vitale coached Detroit team in 1976. Yeah. And we were joking around uh, last hour. We were like, do you think Al Fleming's family, because they were there on his behalf because he passed away in 2003 when he was being inducted in the Ring of Honor, do you think that they were – Somewhat happy that Azulus Tabellus didn't get it. They were kind of like the the '72 Miami Dolphins. Like, man, great performance, but yes. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I would have rooted for him to tie it, right? Yeah. What a what a greater tribute to Al Fleming on Al Fleming Day to tie the 41 at McHale. That would have been awesome. But I was really hoping for 50 on 50. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So Tommy Lloyd uh, talked about uh, Azulus Tabellus's 40 point night and pretty much compared it to a pitcher throwing a no-hitter. And he had no idea about the record, but uh, he talked about Azulus Tabellus and just said, man, the way that the ball was coming off his hands, he knew that it was one of those nights. Just one of those nights for Azulus Tabellus. Nine rebounds to him and Umar Balo combined for 50 and 20 last night. Really special. And I'm just going to uh, put it out there again that uh, the sections that are opposite the bench, midcourt, from each bench, sideline to sideline to midcourt, I think it's 12, 13, and 14. You need to get your ass up. Like, you guys are the last ones to stand up. And if, like, get the extra pep- Preparation H ready. Not Preparation H, Icy Hot. Preparation H2, get off your butts. Oh Whatever it is. <laughs> Whatever it is, you guys got to stand up more, man. It's like I, I raised my hands a couple of times. I think I got them going, but uh, never, never. last night was a special, special night to be witness to. And I think it's really funny because we all complain about 830 games, right, 839, especially you guys in the press because you guys got to get your stories in by a certain time. Yeah. When there's an 830 game, the crowd is all there at tip-off. And then we get a 12 or 2 p.m. game on a Saturday, and it takes everybody an extra 20 minutes to get in their seats. I, it yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. That's Tucson in a nutshell. Tucson in a nutshell. But, man, great performance by Azulus Tubelis. He has family in town from Lithuania. Yeah. Uh, they went to Gates Pass. He said he took a 40-minute nap 
before he, dropping 40. He that should, was the key. He should take a 47-minute nap uh, next time, and he can have the all-time <laughs> record. Uh, what do you make of Azul Sabellas making history last night, calling at 719-1490, 719-1490? Uh, what do you make of Azul Sabellas making history, and what do you think just about the current state of the Arizona basketball team, 719-1490? All right, let's go to... Let's see, phone line number one. We got Gabriel from California joining in. What's up, Gabriel? Not too much. What's up, Ginger Assassin and the Persian Godfather? Love the nickname. I'm doing Love uh, it. pretty pretty good. Hey, Gabriel from California. What part of Cal? I've never asked you this. What part of California are you from? Oh, Fresno. I live in Fresno, and I'm the only wildcat that that lives in Fresno. Nice. Uh, no, 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 you're wrong, Gabriel. You're See, that's where you're wrong. Um, Robert Golden, former Pittsburgh Steeler, he lives in Fresno and has the first K-8 through zoo school. They have the, a relationship with the, with the right, huh? Fresno Chaffee Zoo, and he's doing big things in Fresno. Okay. So you're not the only wildcat, Gabriel. Hey, there's two of you, buddy. There's two. Yeah. Good company. But anyway, um, Arizona got a dominating win against the Oregon Ducks. And let me tell you, I definitely enjoy watching Arizona put the hurt on the Oregon Ducks because they're, they're, they are the next rivalry in the Pac-12. He's right. Yeah. When UCLA leaves, it's going to be Oregon. Yeah. Well, UCLA is going for the Big Ten, like you said. And, and Oregon, they were 3-11 and against Arizona going into last night's game. And – Arizona, uh, now they've won back-to-back games against back-to-back home games against the Ducks for the first time in a long time. So. But I agree with Gabriel in that uh, with that uh, lack of success over those period of years against Oregon, for the most part, there was a very satisfying feeling leaving that game, uh, dominating the Ducks like the Wildcats did. Absolutely, yeah, for you too. Good, because we're fans. Bear down. No. no, no. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Gabriel. Uh, yeah, thank Gabriel, you. thank you, man. Yeah. Uh, again, if you want to call into the show, 719-1490, 719-1490. Uh, Tommy Lloyd, Andrew, you get this clip ready. Uh, he also talked about uh, Kirk Kreese. Kirk, Kirk Kreese, I don't know if you've been uh, paying attention to what he's been doing lately, but we discussed his three-point shooting woes at the start of the bulk of Pac-12 play, and Man, he had a really rough, like, five- or six-game stretch. But over the last three games, Ali, he's 14 for 29 from three-point range. Really starting to find his rhythm. And late in that game, in the second half, when you thought Azul Stubelis was going to chase the record, I feel like he didn't score in, like, the last six minutes of the game. And Kirk Kreese was pulling up for three-pointer. I mean, and some of the shots that he was putting up, those were NBA three-pointers. And he, and he splashed him and did it late in the game when Oregon was still trying to chip away at it. So even though Azulus Tabellis didn't really get a lot of looks down the stretch, Kirk Creason and his three-point shooting down the stretch was really beneficial for Arizona. But 14 for 29 um, over the last three games from beyond the arc. And also he passed uh, Parker Jackson Cartwright. Or no, he's the first Wildcat since Parker Jackson Cartwright to have over 300 career assists. That's so. great. Anyways, uh, Tommy Lloyd talked about Kirk Kreese and what he means for the Arizona Wildcats. So Kirk Kreese has really been coming on lately. He has, and, uh, you know, for all the criticisms that he gets, the offense never runs as well when he's not in the game. And the stat you just gave with respect to assists says it all. It leads 
the Pac-12 in assists. Yeah, and the first one since uh, Jackson Parker Cartwright to do over 300 assists. Park, Parker Jackson Cartwright. Sure. <laughs> JPC. JPC, no. yeah. yeah. Um, Cartwright Jackson Parker. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, let's go to the phone line, 719-1490. Uh, looks like we got John joining us on line one. What's up, John? Happy Friday, boys. Happy Friday to you. You know, it's it's funny because when Miller was here, I was so just frustrated because Altman had his number, for, and it was because he would, he would adjust and he he just would adapt to his personnel, and you know he was able to just impose their will against us. And it's nice to have a coach and a team that can impose their will. And I mean, we attacked you know Dante last night, and you know we made it. The key to this team was going to be two things. Can they play defense the rest of the year the way, they, the way that they played D? They didn't play very good in the second half defensively. And can they, can they just take care of the ball without the stupid little turnovers? Because we we cost ourselves probably ten more shots last night with just dumb little mistakes. Yeah. And so just watching the team, like, I just feel like there's a ceiling to this team because – Somewhere along the way in the tournament, they're just going to make too many little mistakes, but that defense yeah. can travel. I mean, since they started playing D-Lit the way that they played it recently, yeah. it's just escalated our team to a whole other level. Well, and defense travels too, and I think the Arizona has shown this year that they can adjust in games because Arizona got down 5 nothing early on last night. Tommy Lloyd called a timeout 97 seconds into the game. They make adjustments. Arizona then goes on a 21-2 to run, and they don't turn back. So... The coaches know how to make the right adjustments. The players obviously know how to, how to execute it. And I think Arizona now is starting to get into that rhythm where they're a force to be reckoned with. And they are just they have the capabilities to adapt at whatever is thrown at them. They did it in a slugfest against UCLA in a low-scoring affair. And they've done it the last couple of games in high-scoring affairs. So I think this Arizona team is more battle-tested now than last year when they were the number one seed going into the March Madness. The defense has, has just gone to another level, though, and really that's been what has been the difference between what you saw, you know, when we lost a few games and, and what has carried us recently because we're turning the ball over about the same. And, you know, Creesa is going to be streaky. 29 could easily be 33-18, you know, three games later. Yeah. But taking care of the ball, you know, running the offense, he does a lot of things really well. Yeah. And, you know, I just – as far as – the whole team goes, and the culture, and the way that we play, it's just its a pleasure to watch. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's pleasing to the eye. They play hard. They play for each other. You know, I mean, even Ramey's 35-footer he took last night was in the flow. Yeah. You know, my dad and I were talking about it after, after the game, and he's like, that was a bad shot. I was like, not really, though. Yeah. Because he, he got it and tried. Like, I didn't mind the shot. And even though it was early in the shot clock, it was, he was kind of on a heat check, but I don't. When I watch the team, I don't feel like they take very many bad shots. Yeah, and it's just. I mean, it's been that way for two years. Yeah. Well, shoot. And what are we now? Fifty. Fifty-two and seven. Yeah. Well, shoot. You talk about not taking any bad shots. They shot fifty-three percent from the field last night. So they know when to take them. That's for sure. Uh, John, always appreciate your phone calls. We're actually going into a commercial break right now, but always love to hear from you. Thank you once again. Have a good weekend. Can I make one point off of what John said? Sure. Uh, with respect to adjustments, <clears throat> if you remember, 
in the second half, Oregon uh, changed their defense to a 1-3-1 zone. And it gave Arizona a few problems in the first few possessions. And then they adjusted, and then they just crushed that zone. Yeah. So that's a testament to this team. And Tommy Lloyd didn't call timeouts. This is a testament to this team and all those timeouts Tommy Lloyd didn't call in the past. Being able to adjust on the fly and, you know, uh, being able to adjust without intervention of the coach, doing it on their own. These are things that are important as the season progresses. These are things that why Tommy Lloyd didn't call timeouts earlier in the year, and now they manifest in what happened last night. Mm-hmm. Because Arizona's first three or four possessions against that 1-3-1 were mm-hmm. pretty brutal. Yep. And then it was <clears throat> they knew exactly where to attack it, what to do, and Oregon had no no answer for it. My favorite thing from last night, by the way, outside of Azul Stabellis making history. That guy with a leopard um, jacket in the front row. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I got I got some words for you, dude. Al Fleming, when he was inducted into the Ring of Honor, his family member was there representing on his behalf. Bob Elliott was there as well. Yeah. Uh, did you know Al Fleming's mother? Her name is Arizona Fleming. I, well, because I read your article. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes, I did. But not during the game. A- after I read your five quick yeah. points. Remember, they grew up in Michigan. Tucson.com and the Wildcaster, by the way. Or you get the paper at the Arizona Daily Star. (laughs) Subscription's available now. Free to download app. Michigan City, Indiana, named Arizona Fleming. It's it's amazing, man. It is. You know what? It is amazing. And, uh, you know, back to my point. Like, if we were going to – it was a stripe out last night. And, dude, you wore a a red shirt, which good because you're supposed to. Guy in the front row that that couldn't take his arm around his girlfriend. Yeah, she's hot. But, you know, give it a rest. We know you're with her. And then if you're going to wear a leopard skin jacket, it means that every you want everybody to look at you. And they did. Mission accomplished. And the words that came to mind were douche kebab. So, dude, leave the leopard skin jacket at home. What if you wore like a red mink? And just come, I mean, come like, on. Like a red fur mink. Come on. And then the other it's guy. More festive. Other guy in the white tank top by the U of A bench. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> you're listening to Spears and Ali on ESPN Radio. Last couple days in the NBA, Ollie, have been pretty wild, to say the least. How so? Uh, well, first you got uh, Lori Markkinen making the all-star roster, deservedly so, yeah. leading the Jazz in points and rebounds, and the Jazz are competitive this year somewhat. I know they're in the Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes, but Lori Markkinen has been an absolute star this season for the Jazz. And, you so. know, they took the – is Will Handy the coach of the uh, Jazz no. Oh, my goodness. I'm not even... I always say it's Will Handy, but it's somebody else. You're thinking of Phil Handy, Phil maybe. Handy, yeah. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so they he took a... Page, Will Hardy. Will Hardy, Hardy. So I got half of it. He took a page out of the movie Major League because Danny Ainge wanted him to lose, so they put a full cutout of Danny Ainge, and every win they have, they take off another piece of clothing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good motivation. Actually... He did the opposite. For every win they get, they put another piece of clothing on Danny Ainge. <laughs> <laughs> but Laurie Markin is the fourth Wildcat to receive NBA All-Star nods. Kind of surprising that he's only the fourth one. Figured How did Mike a, Bibby not make the All-Star team? Mike Bibby, um, I feel like you could list a number. Richard Jefferson has had a, several good years in the NBA. Has he ever been an All-Star, though? I mean, so the All-Stars at are... At least one. Damon not one. I feel like Richard Jefferson, Andre Iguodala... At like their peaks of their career, Iguodala didn't make the All Star game. No, he made it one time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like at least one time, Richard Jefferson could have made it. Yeah, especially when the Nets were really good. He, but he wasn't like the first, the star. Yeah, he wasn't the first option. I so Iguodala, Damon Stoudemire, Sean Elliott. Yeah. Who, who else am I missing? So Gilbert Arenas. Laurie, Gilbert Arenas. Yeah. Laurie so Markin is the fifth. No, the fourth. So then we just named five. So which one did I? No, miss? it's okay. 
it's Sean Elliott. He was the first one. One. Uh, you got Gilbert Arenas, who was a three-time All-Star. Dose. 2005 to 2007. Andre Godala, Lori Marcus. So Damon Stoudemire. Damon Stoudemire was not. Okay. Another one who could have made it. Yeah, I feel like he had a couple of years, though. So, you, yes, to echo what you just said, surprised it's, the number is so few. Yeah. And Lori's having a good year, uh, deserves to be an All-Star. And just, How about those Chicago Bulls teams that were led by Steve Kerr and Judd Bushler? Well, they, I mean, they carried Michael Jordan. <laughs> they did. Should have been one of them. <laughs> but uh, shout-out to him, uh, Lori Market. And he was a part of the Donovan Mitchell trade that sent Mitchell from – the Jazz to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't know if you saw the little incident that he had with Dylan Brooks last night. And this is another classic example of Dylan Brooks being Dylan Brooks. He's a punk. You know, I don't like to use the word hate because I feel like hate is a strong word. Yeah. But sometimes. I don't sometimes greatly dislike. Correct word. But, but sometimes I, I, I really don't respect Dylan Brooks as a basketball player. His antics are just a little too much. And I feel like nobody in the NBA outside of his own team really respects him. And he got into in a situation where he was diving for a loose ball. And he sees Donovan Mitchell standing there and then lifts up his arm, hits him in an area that's very sensitive for men. And Donovan Mitchell's like, dude, I've had enough of it. Yeah. I've had your number this whole time. You've been doing these antics for too long. I've, I've just had enough. And then he threw the ball at him and then went after him. Yeah. And, no, I mean, and deservedly so. You know, typical, typical Oregon. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. is like he's been doing it ever since his days at Oregon. Yeah. Just not he's a big a fan punk, of him. He's a punk, man. You know, that's the, and there's guys like that that, uh, you know what? It's a sense of insecurity because, no, you're not as good as you think you are. Uh, the other guys on the team are better. And um, you can't compensate for it by just being a jerk. Mm-hmm. He doesn't help his team. He really doesn't when he, when he does those antics. And Donovan Mitchell said it perfectly, man. It's not just me. He does with other this. He does this all the time with other guys. That's Damian why Lillard. he's always yeah he's always involved in something. And look, man, we're Laker fans, but you know, Pat Bev's got a little bit of that in him too. Absolutely. Yeah, but he not as much. And right on cue, as soon as we're talking about this, uh, Sham Sharania, NBA insider, announces that Dylan Brooks has been suspended one game for Good. his hit on Donovan Mitchell. Um, real quick though, we got a few minutes left. Kyrie Irving requests a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. So. He's been balling out this year. He's an all-star starter. Kyrie Irving is not only an all-star, but he's a starter. you got to be putting up insane numbers to get those kind of votes and get that kind of recognition. So even though Kyrie Irving is a headache, he's a drama queen, he's a problem, I agree with Charles Barkley. I don't trust a guy like Kyrie Irving, uh, but he's been putting up crazy numbers this season. It has been a big reason why the Brooklyn Nets are considered a contender in the Eastern Conference. When they get Kevin Durant healthy... You know, they're a force to be reckoned with, but again, a lot of inconsistency in the few years that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been with each other. But Kyrie Irving wanted a longer extension with the Brooklyn Nets. He wanted a his contract redone, and he won, I think, $200 million. And the Brooklyn Nets are like, well, no, we can't give you these $200 million because, quite frankly, we just don't trust you. Look at what you've done for us over the last few years. Does that warrant you getting this crazy contract we don't really trust you at this time yes you've been solid for us this year but how about we get to the finish line right before you're a free agent and then we can start talking about your contract negotiations and Kyrie's like you know what no I want my contract done now and if you're not going to give it to me now I'm going to request a trade it's kind of like J.G. Wentworth it's my money and I need it now that's what Kyrie Irving's doing right now to the Brooklyn Nets and Brooklyn's like we are not going to give it to you and so he's like okay fine 
trade me. And now we're back to square one. Nine months ago, this guy was requesting a trade, and now here we are several months later, and he's requesting a trade once again. And we've, I've, I've been monitoring Twitter, and I've seen that the, the Phoenix Suns, the Lakers, the Mavericks are potential suitors for Kyrie Irving. It'd be a long shot for the Lakers to get Kyrie. Good. Um, it'd also be a long shot for the Phoenix Suns to get a guy like Kyrie Irving. I'm looking at maybe the Dallas Mavericks making a move because I feel like they can actually afford Kyrie Irving and they're able to give him what he wants in the offseason or maybe a team like the Miami Heat. But regardless, man, he's a headache. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, look, I can understand both sides of it for for this one. I mean, Kyrie, want, this is a business decision. He wants a long-term deal. I can understand the Nets saying, uh, we don't trust you. We're not going to give you a, a long-term deal. And frankly, the Nets don't need to do anything because Kyrie's a free agent next year. And if he starts playing bad or starts checking out, he's only going to diminish his own value. So Brooklyn doesn't need to do anything. They have and, leverage here. Huh? And they have leverage, yeah. And, and and Kyrie, if he wants that long-term contract, he's got to ball out the rest of the year. So yeah. this might be much ado about nothing, to be honest with you. Yeah. But who makes that call, do you think? And is Kyrie Irving worth it in your opinion? Like, as as a Lakers fan, Ali, let's say the Lakers somehow find a way to scrap together a deal where they send Russell Westbrook, Lonnie Walker, and picks, and maybe another player into the mix. Is that worth it for Kyrie Irving? Because if you're LeBron, you got to be thinking, how am I going to maximize this season? Well, I'm right now, I'm 38 years old, but I'm putting up insane numbers. I got Anthony Davis. I need that extra element. That could really help us become contenders. And I think Kyrie Irving would be that piece. I mean, look what he's doing this year with Brooklyn. He would be a big addition for the Lakers. But again, do you trust a guy like Kyrie Irving to come into that role as a rental piece? I don't think so. Well, that's the thing, though. If you're trading for Kyrie Irving, it's not just for this year. You're putting yourself on the line for that $200 million over the next four years. You're in bed with him. So I'm like, no, no. I, I just said no. The Lakers have made this move over and over again, and they put themselves in a bind. It's a terrible move. Yeah. So unless you want to do Westbrook for Kyrie straight up with no promises, I wouldn't give up picks. You have all the leverage. So no. The answer is no. And that's the thing is the the Nets right now are actually contenders. They want to stay that way. They want something in return that's going to keep the ship afloat with what they got going on right now. Yeah. And I don't think Russell Westbrook straight up would be ideal for them. Just my uh, well, but I think that, uh, keeping Kyrie and making him play it out yeah. and uh, showing his value for the next suitor, that's probably the, the Nets' best move if they want to yeah. win this year. All right, coming up next on Spears and Ali, we got one more segment. It's time for Last Call. If you want to call into the show, 719-1490 is that phone number, 719-1490. Closing out Spears and Ali coming up next. Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson is presented by Casino Del Sol, the soul of Tucson, Tucson Federal Credit Union, and the Volpe team at Nova Home Loans. 15 seconds left. It looks like Yale is going to beat Harvard 67-57 for all you Ivy League fans out there. How's Cornell doing this year? Do you know? Uh, they're in Ithaca, New York. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking of college basketball, we got some uh, great college basketball coming your way tomorrow. Starting at 9.30 a.m., you can listen to coverage of Kansas versus Iowa State. And then right after that, we got Purdue versus Indiana coverage for that game is set for 145, and then the greatest rivalry in college basketball, North Carolina versus Duke, coverage for that game getting started at 4.15 p.m., and it's all right here on ESPN Tucson. Does John Shire get fired after a year, uh, the coach of Duke? Does he? he? I'm asking, because they're not very good. No. 
You know who's not going to be a coach next year? Who? I have a sneaking suspicion. Who? Dana Altman for Oregon. You really think so? I think that uh, Phil Knight spent a lot of money for him to get some high-level recruits, a couple of which were supposed to come to Arizona. And mysteriously, maybe some NIL money was offered, and they ended up going to Oregon. And I think uh, with the lack of success, I think you could really see Dana Altman not be the coach mm-hmm. of Oregon next year. Didn't they have a, a five-star forward a few years ago, like C.J. Walker? He was like this number two small forward, didn't really do anything at Oregon. Yeah. And then this year, their five-star recruit is Kel L. Ware. And he, for a little bit in the first half, he was kind of giving Arizona some fits. Yeah. Uh, his so, name is Kel L. Kel L., yeah. Like oh K- K-E-L apostrophe E-L. Yeah. Kel L. He's from Krypton, New Jersey. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say. <laughs> yeah, Kel L. Ware is uh, a player who is one of the highest rated recruits in this past recruiting class. And a lot of people assumed that he was going to be one of the guys in the Pac-12. He was going to be one of the lottery picks that everyone, everyone was raving about. And he hasn't really lived up to the ex- expectations. But in that first half, did play solid basketball. Dude, that Had a couple of blocks. That team's got uber talent. They have it. some dudes on there. but And uh, they their recruiting class last year, I can't remember which guy was going to come to Arizona and then ended up flipping to Oregon. Um, one of well, the, Nate Biddle was a U of A target that's the a guy. couple years ago. Anyway, the last year's recruiting class, Phil Knight definitely stepped in. And, and I'm pretty sure told Dana Altman, I'm going to put the money down, make something of it. And I don't think that Dana Altman is going to be able to survive unless they do something miraculous in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. And with all that talent on there, uh, not to have it co- coalesce and play better basketball, I think we've seen the last days of Dana Altman. Wow. I wonder who they would get. Because Dana Altman's a pretty good coach, in there my are, opinion. There are few. They, they've had Arizona's number. They have. Just, But they've underachieved. Yes. Except for one final Well, yeah, final they went to a Final Four. That's one. I mean, for, for the talent, 2017. For the talent that they've had, I think it's been yeah. disappointing. If I were an Oregon fan. And your court's stupid. <laughs> Amen. Deep in the woods. But, man, Azulis Tubelas, can he duplicate that performance last night on Saturday? Because Oregon State, they're not so good. And if he did that against Oregon, man, imagine how he's feeling against Oregon State. And he said the key to his 40-point game was taking his family to Gates Pass. No, excuse me. At first, he had breakfast at Baja Cafe. That's that's a good start. And then he went to Gates Pass. And then... The most important part of all of it, go. 40-minute nap. Yeah. Naps are good. That's called the Tucson hat trick right there. Yeah. No, well, yeah. And then you put 40 (laughs) on the ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Baja Cafe, hiking, basketball. Balling out. No, no, no. No, no, the nap. The nap. Oh, the nap. Sorry. We ball out of Tucson too. Yeah, uh. yeah. The, the ball balling out was like a cherry on top. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough to, de- to duplicate, or else he would have done it already. But it was an amazingly magical night from Azulis Tabellis, and Arizona is playing very good basketball right now. That's mm-hmm. all that matters. Mm-hmm. Keep, all right. keeping that up. So Arizona takes on Oregon State tomorrow night. Another late game, uh, seven thirty at a kill center. I mean, it's, it's not 8.30. A, it's, it's a late one. Yeah, it, that's true. Well, it was 7.30, you know, the way Tucson and Zach, everybody will be in their seats. And then you put the game at 2 p.m., and they're not there till like, 10 <laughs> minutes to the first half is over. We're crazy. That's Tucson, see, man. Yeah, man. Show late to everything. I feel attacked. No, I was like, it's true, though. <laughs> we complain about the late start times, but the late start times, we're all in our seats when the game starts. And then we get a really good start time. <laughs> Nobody's there for the first five minutes. 
Phoenix Suns taking on the Boston Celtics game coming up next year on ESPN Tucson. Have a good weekend.